Hello, welcome to Time in the Studio, and thank you so much for dropping in. It's been a long, strange winter, but spring is truly here, and the dandelions are out, and it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Mom, I love you so flipping much, and to all the mamas out there who work so hard, so much love to you as well. Oh, I am so excited for the episode today. I got to chat with Marsha Mack. She's an awesome artist living in Denver, Colorado. I'm just going to read a little bit from her bio. She holds an MFA in ceramics, yay, Clay, and a certificate of advanced study in women's and gender studies from Syracuse University, and a BFA in ceramics from San Francisco State University. Uh, Marsha is currently the associate director of David B. Smith Gallery, also a ceramic instructor at Foothills Park and Recreation District in Littleton, Colorado, and is an artist in residence at Redline Contemporary Art Center in Denver, Colorado. In addition to exhibitions at Black Cube Nomadic Museum in Denver, Yes Ma'am Projects in Denver, and ATC Den, Denver, Colorado, her collaboration with the Museum of Contemporary Art, Denver's Teen Failure Lab Project Water Closet is on display through summer 2019. I got to see her show called Juice Cleanse, curated by Brooke Tomiello. It is on view at Lane Meyer Projects through May 20th, so there's a couple days left. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. It's in this awesome little bar at the back called Pon Pon. We talk about that a little bit. Uh, so yeah, it's at Pon Pon, and Lane Meyer Projects is this little white cube gallery within that space, and it is so awesome. So definitely be sure to check that out. Um, so for part of her little blurb about the Juice Cleanse exhibition, Marsha Mack did a juice cleanse, a fast, from for three days, and it was a celebrity-inspired juice cleanse. She realized some ceramic sculpture and installation is the true account of foods craved during this 72-hour endurance performance. So she talks a little bit about performance art and her writing practice, her ceramic practice, and how that's experiencing a true renaissance. And just so inspiring to hear about all of her ways of working and thinking about her work and just an absolute delight to chat with her. So without further ado, I will bring you Marsha Mack. There's a little news at the end of the episode. So if you want, you can listen to that at the end. Okay. And my best case scenario is that when people come into my projects, which are often not completely straightforward, they're experiential, they're often scented, and there's a lot of playfulness involved. Yeah. I think it's there's always this entry point where you can come in and just enjoy it as it is and say, this is weird. And if that's all you want to take and walk away and that's, that's your takeaway, that's fine. But I was so glad to hear that you kept thinking about it and you kind of got a sense that there was something else going on mm -hmm. and then, you know, chose to, I, I don't know if you were reading more about it or asked me about it. And so that's kind of the best case scenario. I think when it comes to my bodies of work, yeah. Sort of a choose your own adventure experience. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I feel like it's a show that like I could take my niece and nephew to and they would be like, oh, this is so cool. And I could take like my grandparents to and they would be like, this is so weird, but cool. You know, like it's one of those just very layered shows that anyone could enjoy. And 
take things from. And I think there's something so brilliant in having that kind of layered approach. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I just want to start with saying, oh my gosh, Marsha <laughs> Mack, thank you so much for making time to chat today. I'm so excited to, obviously too excited maybe to dive in and start talking about the show <laughs> that I got to see. It is at Lane Meyer Projects in Denver. It's up until, when is when does the show come down? It's closing the 20th, so on Monday. So there's... Still a little bit of time left. Awesome. To go see it. <laughs> oh my gosh, so cool. And it's in this really cool space within Pon Pon, which is like this super sweet little bar. There's this beautiful white white wall gallery in the back. And so mm-hmm. it feels like going into some sort of like surreal David Lynch movie <laughs> or something where you're like I'm in a bar. And then you're like, all of a sudden I'm in a gallery. And I just, I love that (laughs) connection too, of having, you know, bringing a little more playfulness and lightness into the art world too. I'm like, why don't more people do this? This is so brilliant to have a bar and a gallery together. So it's so convenient. It's my favorite bar. Yeah. My favorite gallery. <laughs> so it's just the the one stop shop. So I love it. I think <laughs> they do really exciting things. One of my best friends curates the space, Brooke Tomiello, and she's just bringing in great shows. And so really kind of changing that narrative about what a project space, you know, within another space can really do. And so I think it's a really interesting model, you know, where it allows them to show work that they're really interested in, you know, rather than having to kind of adhere to any commercial speculation or anything like this so and you know drinks are right there bartenders are cool music's good (laughs) it's so good and I love the collaboration that you had with the bar in the the night that I went to the show it was for the opening and you had given a bunch of juice to the bartender and so he's making cocktails inspired by the juice cleanse and then you were also giving away straws to people who the first attendees of the show got straws and so I was there and I got a straw and I was like oh my god this is so brilliant to have like a little takeaway (laughs) and it's like this playful you know little spirally straw toy that like brings you back to this like tunes you into like a younger time or like the inner child. Yeah. I just, I think inviting playfulness and celebration into works is something that I'm interested in because I think that it's so important to have, you know, an, you know, an introspective or a really maybe an intellectual conversation with artwork because I believe that that's very much the function or the potential of work, you know, within the context of society but I don't think you'll ever get there unless you're interested. And it's kind of hard even for me to be interested in something unless I'm enjoying it in some kind of way. Mm. And I think coming through, you know, like I went, I got my MFA at Syracuse and they were really, I'm getting really tired of the word conceptual. I'm going to stop using it, you know, in the next few months. Cause I just think it's played out, but they were very, you know, conceptually driven there, like trying to make sure that we had our backing together and then material follow after your idea. And so I'm really interested. That resonated with me. And I just think it's so important that, you know, the work reflects who I am and who I'm interested in, which is that I want to talk about interesting things. Um, 
and I want to get to that deeper topic, but I'm not going to bore myself as well. Like if I'm not interested, I don't expect anyone else to be interested. Oh, um, and so that. I try to bring those elements in. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the straws were just fun. I mean, I feel like these days my projects come together and particularly juice cleanse, they come together using different mediums and different ways of formulating the shows all together. So for this one, I was really interested in performance and, you know, how to revisit even the idea of performance and make that new for myself and, you know, how to bring information from that that couldn't be fabricated otherwise. And Mm -hmm. so that element was doing the actual cleanse because I was kind of curious, you know, thinking a little bit about health and culture, um, new age healing. I was thinking about, you know, like if there's an inherent truth that our bodies speak to, and then kind of the each person's relationship with food and that history through, Mm -hmm. you know, the truth of what your body craves Mm -hmm. and what that might be. And so when I started thinking about those things, I knew that I'd had to actually do the cleanse. But, I mean, this happened in... January. And so I like the idea of having that performance, which I'm calling it endurance performance, because anyone who's done a cleanse will know it is oh, <laughs> terrible. <absolutely. laughs> um, so bringing that element of performance in that was essential and that actually happened and that was, you know, truthful, mm-hmm. but to have that happen beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so to just, and then sort of bring that back around. Um, incorporate that, you know, intimately into the work, but then even for the opening to kind of let people engage in the work, whether it be like with a silly straw of their own and kind of speak to, you know, just a little bit of fun, a little bit of nostalgia. I don't mind that a little bit, but um, also thinking, you know, focusing on your drink and on consumption and then bringing in elements Mm -hmm. that speak to that central topic. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't think about the mindfulness that that would bring, but it's really cool to think of like how it really does drop you into your body, the act of fasting. And then the show too really brings you into your body. I think with the layers of the scent and then there's also, you know, these sculptural objects and these beautiful paintings and collages like there's just um such a layered way to be in the space and then so it does bring you into your body and help you to question your relationship to your body as well so that's so interesting to see how you're kind of dealing with all these layers thanks yeah 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 I just I think it's so I just think it's important to build an experience that is unique for each person that they can connect with that has those playful elements that speaks to the central topic, but then also has room for play and room for interpretation as well. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah. I love that, that playfulness too. It's so, like it does help pull people in. It's kind of like the spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. It's like you can, yeah, you can question the culture a little bit easier when you're, giving them kind of like a sweet treat of playfulness. Yeah, absolutely. I had a video project called Spoonful of Sugar based on that same phrase. Yeah, yeah. It was just eating spoonfuls of refined white sugar, kind of playing with that idea. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Was that something you were working in L.A.? Or was that here? That was in 
That was in Syracuse, actually. That was one of the first times I'd ever really decided that I needed to perform in a way. And so that was performance for video. But Mm. it was that same kind of that attempt at the synthesis of these ideas using a performative element, like using, you know, the interactive living body as a way to enact some of these ideas rather than just kind of describe them or render them. Mm. And so, yes. So it's trying to kind of maintain the smile and kind of see this kind of flirtatious female figure. So I was, I was painted all pink. I had a pink wig on, but oh. then while eating just yeah, like spoonful after spoonful of this refined <laughs> white sugar and what it means to kind of go through all of that um, and to play that role and try and keep a smile on your face while it's really really tough that sounds like (laughs) nauseating like I can't imagine trying to actually do that was it yeah you know (laughs) the the craziest part is no I think I ate must have eaten like 10 teaspoons of sugar but it's that's the strange thing is we eat so much sugar I'm guessing that it I was fine like I was completely expecting to be sick but it was just like oh it's like I drank Two cups of soda. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there is so much sugar in our current culture. It's so interesting. Yeah. That's a cool idea, though. I love that that idea of the performative element being a little bit more vivid and bringing something else to it rather than just describing something or rendering something. Like, you're actually having an experience with your body and sharing that with other people via costume and via these other kind of ways of working. It's, I really, I love that. In thinking kind of about the presentation of a thing, I really enjoyed the window leading into the gallery at Lane Meyer. There's Mm. kind of like this little mm -hmm. window box that you did as an installation. And I feel like it reminded me of like uh, Tiffany's window where it's like this beautiful little (laughs) glimpse into like what's inside. And there's like, you know, these hints of all the themes within the show, but it's just within this little window. I was curious how you created that, if that was kind of like at the forefront of your mind at the beginning of planning the show, or that just kind of emerged later, or how that little window uh, became. Yeah, so I try to be really conscientious of every element of not only the works that I'm putting up, but of the space itself. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that's developing more and more with each show, is that I'm not just here to hang up work on the wall and leave, but that I'm trying to change the way the space feels, the way it functions, um, make it seem bigger or smaller, things like this, um, mm-hmm. make windows, maybe hint to windows where there aren't any. And so that front space, um, which is just a little vitrine that faces the street um, outside of Tonton, mm-hmm. um, I've thought about that. I've been thinking about it for a while. I mean, initially when I was approached for the show, by Brooks, um, she'd given me schematics for everything. And so I really tried to think of, bring up everything together. And so I think for that, it also is really fun because it's not, it's a really tough to access space, really small, it's really tight, but I'm so interested in advertising and, mm-hmm. um, and shopping really. And so I mm-hmm. really wanted it to be presented as 
something, you know, not just a little sign in the window that says juice cleanse by Marsha Mack, but to have mm-hmm. these other, um, yeah, like you said, like little hints of what's inside, arrange them as if it's, you know, speaks to sort of the stock photos that I was using heavily in the work. Um, but just to bring that experience, to bring it full circle um, through each element is something I really, I really try to do. So thanks for noticing that. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so cool to consider or just to hear about how you're considering each element so thoughtfully and cohesively, like bringing it all together in this really playful way and dealing with this idea of advertising and shopping and consumption and how that is connected to a juice cleanse as well. And the idea of like not tapping into that consumption and like withdrawing yourself from that whole world of like consuming. But then there's also like weird hype in our culture right now about juice cleansing and about kind of new age spirituality as well. So it's interesting just how there's this, this juiciness, this essence, and then there's also this withdrawal, like, you're giving, but yeah. you're also withholding something. Yeah. I mean, that's getting right into, I think, the heart of this project is thinking about how we have these food and health trends and how it's not unique to now. There are always, it has always been this way. You know, like if you mm. think of the food pyramid that I don't know, I grew up with where it was like bread was on the bottom (laughs) and then vegetables like, and then fruit or something. It's just all strange. And these ideas about health and wellness continually change. And it's been that way throughout history, but I'm think it would be a mistake to not acknowledge that we are currently still experiencing that phenomenon, which is um, ideas about health affecting contemporary culture and, you know, our day to day, lived experience in a really profound way. And I think especially mm-hmm. in America, that's really pronounced where we don't have a great history or legacy with like our food or cuisine that's like, you know, tried over 500 years and we're all still healthy. And like the French, for example, are like, you know, they, it's bread, cheese, cured meat and wine, and they all look great. <laughs> <It's been Yeah. laughs> just So historically built into their genetics of the culture and maybe even their actual body's genetics but for Mm -hmm. us that understanding of health and you know nourishing oneself and how that works it changes every few years and so I think Mm. just being a person moving through the world also being a woman who survived my teenage years and all of that I have a pretty strange relationship with food or I have in the past Mm -hmm. and so when I started to think about all of these things especially through the lens of my own experience, which is something I'm kind of trying to come into more, which is not to, not to shy away from my own kind of my own experience or like sometimes my own identity, but really knowing that there is truth to being here in this time um, and to try and realize what it means to be a person in this place, in this time. And so it's this time around. So this show it's manifested through, um, through these kind of ideas and myths and misinformation and also some truths Mm -hmm. that are circulated in the way we talk about health and wellness. Mm 
Wow, that's so powerful. I feel like that's something that so many people could relate to is just it's tough to have a healthy relationship with our bodies in our current culture. And especially our relationships with food are so bizarre (laughs) and disjointed. And I love how you're creating these sculptures of food that are, you know, the things that you were desiring while you were on your juice cleanse, like bread and bagels and nachos. And, but then they're also, like untouchable and you can't eat them but there's something there too where it's like again you're giving this idea of food but it's not real food it's like yeah made strange yeah totally I mean well that's the idea and the artifice of it I think is part of part of the fun of it Mm -hmm. and I think with that it was you know after three days of not eating anything, but just drinking juice, which I was juicing myself and I was basing it off a, um, off what I'd read online to be one of Kim Kardashian's favorite juice cleanses. So I was really interested in the idea of celebrity and mm-hmm. culture and how our, um, ideas about health are so often celebrity driven rather than, you know, fact or research driven, mm-hmm. um, and I want to be careful with the, you know, fact and all of that too, but just that's mm-hmm. the driving idea. How many people are understanding what's good for them and what they need to do and how one takes care of themselves. And that is all driven. That's in the place of celebrity. And mm-hmm. so I'm interested in that. And so when I started looking and thinking about which cleanse to pick that once that kind of came on the table, that was immediately like, all right, that's it. That's what I need to do. <laughs> and this is how I'm going to find the cleanse that I'm doing going to be a celebrity's favorite um but in doing that yeah like these foods came up like well while you're doing it you have to you cannot think about food or you'll never make it yeah is the first thing and so I knew that this was going to be tough for me so I'm anyone who knows me knows I love to eat I'm a big eater Um, and so (laughs) I resolved that I was going to take these detailed notes about anything I was thinking of eating during that time Mm. um but as I got into it, it's like, if you think about food, yeah, like I said, you will not make it. And so I only, you have to, you know, control your brain. So there is this strength of will that is something, there's something satisfying about it. But it was getting to the point where it's like, if you're fantasizing about a carrot and you're like, I can't eat that carrot. It's so bad. That's not right. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> and so. Perverse. <laughs> yeah. It's not cool. And so I just started as a few items were able to kind of sneak through my mind filter. And so, yeah, those were um, like a bagel and cream cheese, hot dog, corn dog, nachos, um, and then beef and Benkun. And then I also wanted to have a cigarette, which I don't smoke anymore, but I did for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it was really, I realized later that it's almost like an autobiography Oh, because it's like, oh. yeah, I, I think what you what you would crave in this situation tells you so much about who you are, yeah. and well, maybe just what you've eaten. But I think there's something there's some really interesting connection, you know, between food and the individual. How personalized that is, how that can reflect your culture, how that can reflect your values, and so to find that half of what I wanted, or maybe more than half, was um, this kind of processed American food, and the other half were Vietnamese dishes 
well, and a cigarette, um, <laughs> were really, <laughs> really spoke to kind of my experience and my cultural identity. Mm-hmm. And so that was just kind of a, a fun element to that. That's so, I love the way that that connects into your identity and just a way to question culture as well. I was curious in thinking of your um, cultural identity, you mentioned you're Vietnamese. Yes, I'm half Vietnamese. Oh, cool. I was curious, how do you feel like that plays into your work at all or affects your perspective of culture in a different way? Yeah. So this is something I never really thought about, but um, I did my first project kind of thinking about my identity last year, about October. And that was a show called Miss Vietnam with ATC Den in Denver. Um, And actually another kind of variant, a little sampling of that work would just opened up um, in Omaha yesterday Mm. at this gallery called uh, Generator Space, curated by Amanda Smith, Angela Donampari. But um, cool. it was, it's just, yeah, it's just starting to think about identity and how that affects me because some half Vietnamese um, and then half or a quarter German and then Scandinavian, but I never, but I've been raised very culturally white, like almost all my friends are white. I've only dated white guys. And it's kind of this idea of difference that I forget that I've, don't read as a Caucasian person, mm-hmm. um, but I'm just so culturally, um, so culturally white, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't, I don't really think about it that much, but lately I'm trying to kind of, you know, lean into that experience. And it's so funny yesterday, well, I guess the, that little Royal baby or whatever was just born and who is a quarter African-American, right? Like mm-hmm. Prince Harry. And I don't even know. I'm not like a big royal yeah. fan here. <laughs> but, yeah, I live in a cave. I have no idea. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I know. I think it's so interesting that some people love it, but I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really. But NPR, what I am into, NPR was doing this whole segment about like being multiracial or biracial and mm-hmm. multicultural and how, um, you know, how this baby will have to reconcile that, but then also using that as an entry point into discussing, you know, for so many, um, how they uh, live with that experience and interpret it. And so it was just interesting because it's, there's so many of us, especially I think in the U S where we don't have like a real strong culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, you know, I guess we do, but it is the culture of like commercialization. That's the culture of, you know, commercials on TV of like the, the Super Bowl and like yeah. of buying latest products. And so that's a big part of how I kind of interpret my own experience. Yeah. But as far as my heritage, that is only manifested through food, really. Mm-hmm. And so like I love Vietnamese food. It's my favorite cuisine. Most of my cooking is pretty, you know, Asian flair style over here. But mm-hmm. um, But I don't speak any Vietnamese. I don't know anything about, you know, traditions or holidays or any of these things. And so, so that's how that is. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I feel like it's just interesting to consider how our backgrounds kind of pull us forward and influence our artworks. Mm -hmm. 
That's so interesting. Oh, totally. I was Mm -hmm. also curious about, I saw that you're a resident at the Redline Contemporary Arts Center. I was curious what that's been like for you. Yes, that has been so amazing. So I'd applied once before um, and didn't get in. And so I was just so ecstatic to finally be part of that incredible organization and that family, really. And so I have a studio space that is um, provided to me for free, 24-hour access um, for two years. Oh, And cool. that's huge. That's I know. Amazing. It's revolutionized my finances. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I'm in Denver, and I'm sure so many this kind of mid-sized city that's booming, um, but rent is just out of control. And as um, as an artist and as a not you know, not a finance person or whatever, I can't afford to pay my regular house's rent on top of a studio rent, which these days you can spend the same amount, if not more. Oh, and definitely. so, yeah. And so it's been so great. And everyone there is really, I mean, it's a, I just like confused sometimes because every like at reception, people who run it, like all the staff are in such a good mood all the time <laughs> and like so genuinely friendly and just oh. wonderful, like, like inner light kind of people. And I'm, I was, at first I was like, all right, something's up. What's going on here? Like, <laughs> what's okay. in the Kool-Aid? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it is truly that they're happy to be there. And I think they're making really positive change in the community. Um, a big part of their mission is to give back to the neighborhood that they're gentrifying. They're very transparent that they were one of the first kind of people to come into five points and start changing the nature of the community there. And so, I mean, they're really like, it's, it's real. They're authentic um, in that effort. And they have several programs that work with, in ed- with children, um, education and, you know, with the arts as the driver kind of behind that, that whole thing. But it's great. I don't know. And there's so there's also like a community of artists that's really supportive. And so there's the other current residents mm-hmm. there in addition to a whole slew of alumni. And it's really, it, it's really good. I don't know. I'm just mm-hmm. so grateful. I feel so happy, so lucky to have made it through that process because mm-hmm. it's, um, there's like three stages of like double blind um, jurying or something. It's, mm-hmm. it's intense. And so it's great. So happy. I'm going to chain myself to the building when my two years are up. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start the residency? Uh, I started it last September. Okay. So you, so have, uh, you have some time left. I, yes, yeah, true. Yes. So I'll be closing <laughs> in on the year. I mean, it's still, it's still, yeah, I haven't been a year yet, but I'm just like, so precious. I wanted yeah. to go. Um, but it's been, it's just been so great. Like I really, yeah, it's the way to be <laughs> it's in the 24 hour studio. Yeah. What have you, have you seen your, um, your workspace change or the work, the body of work that you're making? It sounds like you're making like huge kind of leaps and bounds in just really questioning your identity and then pulling in more performative elements and getting more and more mindful of transforming spaces as well. But are you seeing, seeing uh, change through all of this time in your work and your work? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I sort of feel like this would happen anyway. So I know that sometimes people are have to move into the home studio and then all of a sudden all these works on paper start appearing or, you know, mm-hmm. things that are really convenient to make in that space. And so, I mean, potentially that's happening kind of at the same time with my changing of studios, but I haven't been able to detect that too much. I mean, I just feel like every body of work that I make, I'm always trying to challenge myself Mm. um, about what I can interpret. For example, perform, what can performance be? Can it happen in the past? What does that mean? Like, okay, so I did this. Why is that relevant to the project when it opens three months later? Mm. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, how can I, I like to tap into as many materials as I can. So I also have a ceramic studio in Littleton where I teach um, an adult class and use those facilities, which is just a godsend. Oh my gosh, but, um, amazing. Yeah, and so I'm trying to figure out how to bring my ceramic practice, which is my first and true love, um, BSA, MSA, and ceramics, but um, how to bring that into the rest of my kind of other, I don't know, like mixed media, sculpture, installation, performative practice. And so every time I do put something together, it's trying to synthesize these different elements. Um, and so, I mean, the studio space in Red, I mean, it's so, I finally have some space to store some stuff, which mm-hmm. is great. And I have a lot of table space and all of these things that I guess maybe at this point, I'm not so sure if, if that has really determined the shape of projects that I've been producing, mm-hmm. but you know, who knows? It sounds like you're going to go, you're on this path regardless of kind of what's around you, but still allowing that to fill you up and be a really powerful resource for you as well. I'm curious, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your ceramics, your clay journey, and Mm. how you're teaching ceramics as well. Any favorite um, prompts or assignments that you have for people? Yeah, so I took my first ceramics class in high school in my junior year, oh my God, I think it was my junior year. So it would be 2004. And since then, I have had only about six months where I haven't touched clay consecutively. Mm-hmm. And that was awful. Mm-hmm. So it <laughs> was, um, it's been a huge part of my practice um, before I even knew that I would call it a practice, you know, it's just when I'm going in the studio to make things. Yeah. Um, and I think from coming from initially, my undergraduate was very much material based, very much ceramic processes only. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really disciplined in a way, but I'm not, now I'm kind of all over the place with materials and whatnot, but mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to have come through that and to really learn what it is to just push through being tired and frustration and to, you know, when nobody's looking, you've got to be the one to say this can be better, this needs to be, this can be more structurally integral to, you know, the overall form. Like, I'm going to make this the best because I have the tools now, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so that's where I really kind of bred in that rigor. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, And it just was also just so intimately developed as a material that I love so much. And I think most people who have worked in clay and like kind of get it or like get that, Mm -hmm. get bitten by that bug, 
yeah. um, really understand that it's there's something so I don't know. It's great. Ceramics, yeah. <laughs> great people. Um, there's nothing like it, but it will really get you when it does. And so it's very, I'm very much that way. Yeah. And so I still work with ceramics every week, um, sometimes more than that. But yeah, I mean, these days I'm teaching an adult class, so we don't have, and it's all levels and everyone's there to have fun. And so I don't have too many actual assignments anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, there's classic ones of like, take something small and blow it up or take something big and make it small. So like playing with scale mm-hmm. um, and then introductory um, kind of assignments of like, you know, how can you, you know, like take two things that aren't related and make them related or like finding the relationships mm-hmm. between ideas and objects. And so, I mean, I've taught that to undergraduates and children and adults mm-hmm. now. Um cool. But mostly now we're making, you know, like slab platters and <laughs> like mugs. <laughs> totally. And occasionally I have a few students who are trying to make these ambitious sculptures and I love them. They're great. Um, and everybody is, everyone's just on their own, everyone's at their own speed doing, doing what they want. And I think that is, that's the best. Everyone's there because they want to be. There's no grades. They want to learn. And so it's awesome. That's, that's like the ideal structure in my mind. I do pottery at the Boulder Pottery Lab and uh, I assist a pottery class there and it's, or ceramics class. And it's just so agree. I agree that it's like, I love not having to grade people. I love just like making stuff and having that community and, you know, having snacks and making work and making jokes and just like hanging out together and letting each person do their own thing rather than like the structure of like everybody having to kind of fall in line to a certain, a certain way of being. So I love, that's such a cool. um, Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, I just think it's so interesting too. We're really in a ceramics Renaissance, um, like as art folk and as a people, I want to say. And it's so exciting because just a few years ago, like when I started ceramics, it wasn't the cool material to work in. It was still like weirdos in the studio that are always dirty. <laughs> yeah. um, like I can't, I'm forgetting like there was some like pejorative term in Edessa state because the ceramic studio is on the ground floor and the painters are on the second floor, like directly okay. above the studio. And there's always some like little chitter chatter about evolution or something like this. <laughs> and, um, and so I just think it's so exciting that, Ceramic is now the material to work in oh, yeah. for many people. But it's also interesting because there's this lack of skill that's uh-huh. really prevalent in a lot of um, people working with clay. And so that's also something that I'm dealing with all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just trying to, you know, like how to process that in my own mind because a really charismatic object I still love it, but when I see that this person clearly just got in the studio for the first time and now is presenting this as like a finished art object, mm-hmm. like that's something that I think I might struggle with, continue to struggle with for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, like my background in ceramic work is all like um, like mid-sized, like two, three foot freestanding, like figurative sculpture, oh, wow. often with animals and like rendered in like detail down to like a 
full representational colors, so like oxide stains, some low fire glazes, under glazes, um, multiple firings, and like so. It's this really like that's that process intensive background, yeah. and so like all hollow form, all this and that. Mm-hmm. But now you know the work I have in there is like a corn dog with a wooden <laughs> stick I glued in. So it's like, doesn't get more basic than that. I love that though. I love that you have that skill to do whatever you want, but then you're also just allowing yourself to be more playful and like making some nachos, you know? <laughs> yeah. 20 piece chicken nuggets. That was a real easy one. <laughs> Make a little lump. But... <laughs> Yeah, so it's like that's, and I'm. I still feel like I'm. I love all of the little objects that I made for this show, but I'm still. I really want to get to that place where it's, where I'm feeling. I don't know. I just want Clay to be more involved, and I don't know. That's that's an ongoing project. Mm -hmm. Like really, make it integral. It has to be ceramic. Anyway, yeah. Cool. I like that. I think that's really. Mm -hmm. Cool to just consider, yeah, what does the material need to be? Like, could it be paper mache or could it be just like a paper sculpture or could it be plaster or, yeah, why does it have to be clay? Mm -hmm. There is something about clay that it just like brings you down to earth. And I don't Mm -hmm. know, there's something about working with clay as you mentioned earlier, like you get bit by the clay bug and it's like, I have to touch clay. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's over after that. (laughs) So true. But yeah. The last thing on clay is just that I think also when anybody who's making work, any artist, I guess, I think when you get to that really good kind of fluid spot and that your work really, comes home and what it seems to be in its simplest form and it makes sense and it's really working. I think that so much of that has to do with coming from like a balance of using your own history and your own ideas. And it's just something true, something true ringing through that you needed, you needed to make this thing and it needed to happen. And so I think it's been kind of, you know, on the back burner for a couple of years now, but I know that, ceramic is really like a pillar of my understanding of art making in total. Mm-hmm. And so that's just my last little note is I know it's going to be coming back around mm-hmm. in a big way. I don't know when, I don't know how, mm-hmm. but I think my true flow space is going to have more, more of those elements. Mm-hmm. So that's, anyway, yes. Last I love that. <laughs> that's so cool. And I think that's so interesting just to see how, it's like the clay brings you, there is such a history with the clay. It's like if you're, especially if you're working maybe with recycled clay or even not, like clay has had such a history of all of these experiences and it holds this memory. Like, you know, whatever you do to the clay, you know, especially if you're making like, trying to make like a flat form and then it gets bent at a certain point in time, like it has a memory and sometimes it wants to go back to that bent way of being and so I love that idea of the clay kind of dropping you into your truth and having to be more present with and honest about who you are now and the clay kind of helping to facilitate that and 
represent that in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was curious um, about your writing as well, because you have the writing on your website is so compelling and just beautifully written about each project. I feel like it just, everything really ties together and makes so much sense as its own thing and really stands firmly on its own two feet. But then all of the shows really have so many threads kind of connecting them to each other. And I was just curious about your writing process. Do you oftentimes write before you create the work Mm. or during or after, like where does, where does that synthesis Mm -hmm. kind of happen? Sure. Yeah. So that happens. Yeah. Before, during, and after all of my projects. Mm -hmm. And I used to think that everybody did that, but Mm -hmm. um, I'm realizing more and more that it's, it's not, I mean, everybody's process is so different, Mm -hmm. but I find that for myself, I might have like some inklings of what I'm working on. And then I always, I have very, I have all kinds of notes and sketches in my sketchbook, but to really make it make sense for me to understand what I'm doing, I need to write about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not always, you know, like polished writing, but that's how I understand things. Mm-hmm. And so like before I can speak well, I feel like I need to be able to write well about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that happens with really with, yeah, with every project. And I mean, I think also it's so, I realize how important it is to be able to describe what you're doing and to present work, especially when it's not so straightforward. Like this isn't a painting of a flower, you know, like something is needed to understand why this room smells like eucalyptus. Mm-hmm. What are these stock images? Why is there a corn dog presented <laughs> this way? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's such a great opportunity to play with words and to kind of use association, but then also to get some actual explaining done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, and to bring it home for myself as well. So that is something that I really value and I really think is important is to be able to understand my own projects through writing and then to be able to, you know, continue to revisit and to understand them through written language. Mm. So powerful. I love that. What is your sketchbook practice look like? Like, do you try to draw a little bit every day or mm. how does that um the work? Not, nothing like that. I mean, each day I end up using a few pages, but it's like, let's see, this last yesterday, I drew a layout for the show, mm-hmm. wrote down dimensions, things I need to buy. And then, you know, there's always like a couple, like some, um, what would you call this? A free association. Like I take notes, mm. like notes, captivity, invisible wall, depth charge, like little, little mm. things to help me understand elements that pop up. Like I'm thinking of producing different characters. I'll take notes. I'll take notes of colors and, you know, like I often have these, um, like lists of words mm-hmm. when I'm trying to, Mm. produce works and so I think I love titling but then also that kind of free association really helps me to kind of triangulate what what is the real what am I getting at here what's the meat of this project or what what is the kernel of this idea so like in trying to find a title for Miss Vietnam I just flip back mixed blend hybrid fancy figment vision mirage imagine utopia wish so it's like I have lists like this where I just sit down and start thinking about 
um, things that sound good together. Like I'm very interested in the textures of words and like the associations of those words and sounds and what they speak to. If there's, you know, some cultural reference, that's always like the big um, bonus that I'm interested in. And so, so yeah, writing, and even if it's my little strange lists of words or, you know, more fleshed out ideas or trying, you know, I'll be driving sometimes and I'll start conceptualizing how, how to say a sentence. Like I'll think of a good, that good sentence. I'll be like, Oh my God, I was going to write this down or something, you know, like dictate it into my phone. But it's kind of always trying to figure that out. Always trying to record things, I guess. Mm, So cool. I was curious too, um, in looking at your collaging, um, collage works, I noticed a lot of times they're covered in plastic and then stitched on. And there's this element of protection and artifice that I see with that, that I was like, oh, I love that. And then the image doesn't get wrinkly too. So I could see how it's maybe like partially a practical thing and maybe partially conceptual, but I was curious about that whole process and mm. if you could dive into your collage mm-hmm. work because I love those. Really neat. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. So I started working with that kind of vinyl a couple of years ago, maybe a few years ago by now, mm-hmm. but I really, really enjoy it. And I think the way I was thinking about it initially was plastic wrapping things. Mm. So I like that, um, that idea of things coming ready and mass produced and they come wrapped in plastic and that's how we know it's new and it's fresh. And, all this. Mm. and I think of that also as a means of preservation. And so when I'm using kind of vintage, um, I like cookbooks or National Geographics or encyclopedias, which is where I get some of my favorite imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I'm kind of interested just privately to think of it as being as a means of preservation. Mm-hmm. Um, also, part of it is, you know, like I've never, I'm always trying to make work I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And these things don't sell. You know, I'm just kind of curious in general about what can a collage be? And I'm not using archival glue and putting it back on paper and then matting it and framing it. You know, like I'm sewing it into these kind of fabric backed or vinyl backed, um, little preservation tanks and arranging things with mixed media and in these different forms, but sewing them down. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking of it that way. But then also I really, at first I was, because they're all hand-sewn, because you can't, it's very difficult to put that vinyl through a sewing machine. Right. Um, and then once it's stretched and all that, it's not really viable anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, I really enjoy that hand, the time it takes for that kind of hand-done aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from working so tactily, so intimately with um, other materials where it's, you know, I need to manipulate material to feel like I've, um, like it's mine. And so, you know, when I'm taking the time to hand stitch and then trim and then, you know, tie and glue everything, it's like I really feel more connected to it. And so I have just enjoyed that. And so it's like this funny thing where I just, I keep, I just, I like it. And so I'm trying new things all the time. Like I just stretched some baby blue corduroy and I have some like glitter washi tape in there and like little elements of like, uh, like making boutonnieres and things that are now stitched under along with some of these images. 
and I'm just, I don't know. I just enjoy it. So that's kind of this, there's this sort of blind experimentation that happens in my studio. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like that's maybe not in contrast, but um, in conjunction with this other very like idea kind of inquiry happening. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always tinkering. Like I'm very much a tinkerer. So I'll be tinkering with these, these mixed media collages and tinkering with different glazes in the studio. And then when I'm working on a project, I'm so glad I did that tinkering because then that comes into these other projects and are made new. And it's like, I think you need to have that line of, I don't want to use the word intellectual, but like you need some lines of inquiry just like based on your interests and ideas. But I think you also just as vital is to have a material sense and to have Think with your hands, you know, to have that line of inquiry go down to like, what are you, what weird thing are you working on? Like, how are you understanding through thought, but also material? Yeah, it's like you're a scientist in the laboratory. Like you have to actually move materials (laughs) around in order to like, you know, develop these ideas and these theories. Like you have to tinker with things. I, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yes. Yes. I'll take it. <laughs> That's so cool. I was curious about um, the photography on your website is really gorgeous. And I love your Instagram feed. It's too, it's so good. Um, so people should check that out. It's wow. yay, Marsha Mack. Um, but I was curious, do you ever outsource your photography or website design, or do you do all of that yourself? Oh, well, firstly, my number one photographer is Matthew Pavir, um, at Matthew Pavir on Instagram, um, and his website and Facebook page, and he's my partner. Um, oh, sweet. But he's great. He takes, yeah, the vast majority of my pictures on my website, though so the last... Mm. Um, project Miss Vietnam was shot by the gallery's um photographer mm-hmm. and so I don't know I just think these days um it's so important to have your images together like mm-hmm. so much I mean 99 if not 99.9 you know blah 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 most people will see your work based on the image so you need to get your images right and mm-hmm. so that's something that I'm still not always up to snuff but that's mm-hmm. something that is really they like stressful really mm-hmm. um if you don't get the shot then you don't what's it for almost right. and so I feel like there's a bit of a tension there because I'm very much about the experience mm-hmm. and and yet I think that documentation is also really important even if it's a reference just for me to like see what I've done and see where I'm going okay. um so that's really important and then I think you know, like for Instagram and things, it's, it is still a lot of that, you know, that marketing self-promotion, you know, like people, like what's your brand is not a new idea, but one that's still out there and I think still holds true. And so I, I think that it's good to have those ideas readable through images. Mm-hmm. And I think because it just so happens or maybe because I'm so interested in um, advertising and market forces, kind of that a marketing aesthetic perhaps mm-hmm. or how the term aesthetic has how much that plays into being able to sell something that's also a big interest of mine yeah. and so that's you know I'm always developing that I'm not a photographer but 
I like to try and get those good images if I can. <laughs> well, well done. It looks like you've succeeded so far. And we'll link to, I'll put a link uh, to Matthew's website in the um, show notes too. Um, oh, cool. I was also curious. Okay. So you've done so many cool residencies and shows. Um, I was just curious if there's any uh, little highlights or stories or suggestions you want to share for um, along your path. Sure. So let's see. I mean, I feel like in Denver, some, the first show that I really was excited about and just kind of came by chance, like completely by the kindness and curiosity of strangers, um, was in this open lot mm-hmm. next to Casa Bonita, basically. Mm-hmm. It's my now good friend, Shana Cohn. She had just, uh, we'd met and she's like, she just approached me like, hey, I have this crazy warehouse space that's empty let's put on a show. And so she was really just incredible reaching out for that. And I feel like that was the first time in several years that I'd really felt excited. And I felt all of the elements or excited about my work and where I looked back on what I'd done. And I was like, just, this is why I do it. I'm alive again. (laughs) Um, because I think, yeah. And so that project was for me, it was called Indoor Culture, but it was um, three artists and then a performance group in the space, you know, for, it was just pop-up. But I was mm-hmm. so excited about that and just so forever grateful um, to Shana for that opportunity. And so that was really exciting. Um, and then, yeah, Red Lines, just great. And then very recently, so last Friday, a project I've been working on with the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver mm-hmm. um, with their Teen Failure Lab and their educational uh, wing, I guess, mm-hmm. and just opened on the third floor. And that's project's called Water Closet. I um, collaborated with mm-hmm. their their teen program called Failure Lab, and it's just, I'm so happy with how it came out. And it, I guess it was a residency of sorts. It, it was like the longest time they'd ever had an artist work with the Failure Lab. Mm-hmm. And so it was for the entire semester. And so I feel like I was just... I know it's totally fun, but also totally challenging Mm -hmm. and like a completely new skill set. And it was like having to share my practice and like occasionally share, well, often share creative control and like finished product, like just being able to grow and work that way was really, I feel like that was really important. And so Molly Nuanez had asked me to do it is just also so grateful for her for, to her for that. (laughs) But, um, that was Wow. I mean, that'll be up all summer. So oh, cool. people are in Denver. Um, yeah. Up on the third floor. Check it out. But that was really great. I'm really excited about that. And then, I don't know, just other little, other projects and things coming up. I mean, I'm just excited. I'm so <laughs> grateful now to just be just busy, almost too busy sometimes. But unfortunately, I feel like I do not get stuff done unless I'm kind of going crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like projects and collaborations coming up on with Lindsay Gustav Smith, a good friend. We've been planning it for years now. We're now working with Odessa curating group to help us like put the show together and find a space. It's like, it's just exciting things happening. And so, yeah, yeah. So I'm pumped for life basically. Yeah. It seems (laughs) like you're on fire. I got to see a group show up at Juicebox uh, last week. Ah, yeah. And you had a Mm -hmm. piece in that show, which I loved. I was like, oh, Oh my God, this is so good. The piece is called Want Not. 
but like N O or K N O T. Yeah, I mean, I really love that piece. So those are gumballs. Oh, um, those are gumballs. So it's like, That's yeah, awesome. it's two stretch frames stretched with clear vinyl, and then it's those happy and sad faces are done in pink flocking, and um, then they're bridged by some um, macrame with gumballs stringed on it. Oh and yeah, that's totally just like having fun with materials. I've been making a lot of work about like like using those gumball gumball macrame is what I was calling mm. them. Um, <laughs> and just thanks. Yeah. And so I'd had a small um, project with that and several other works um, mm. where everything was bubblegum scented and all mm. of this. But thanks so much. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, right now I have a few projects that have just opened and I feel like I'm so excited about it kind of timing could be better it's weird to have like four things open in a month when it rains it pours I guess yeah yeah (laughs) um I guess okay so just a couple last little questions I was curious if there's anything that you do in your daily life to kind of keep the peace as you're doing all of these different projects like do you meditate or how do you kind of keep yourself centered and keep yourself well and happy and healthy to do all of this amazing work? Um, let's see. So I don't know. I mean, I've just been making for so long that, I mean, I, I need to meditate, geez, mm-hmm. but I don't. Um, I drink a lot of tea, I eat food, and I do a lot of <laughs> online shopping. And I feel like those, I love it. <laughs> those, kind, those elements, I think, are really coming into my practice more and more. And that's kind of what I mean when I feel like my, when your work gets to that really slow state, it involves kind of the true elements of your lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's happening more and more. And I'm really grateful for that, but it's kind of, you know, I'm always, I don't know. I don't, I'm just always planning things. I have been from my whole life. So it's, Mm -hmm. I've never had to train myself to like stop thinking about that and like, address these spreadsheets or whatever, like, <laughs> for, you know, for better, for worse. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I've kind of just been so spoiled and that I always entertain all of my little ideas, um, mm-hmm. that sometimes turn into big ideas. And so I don't know. I mean, keeping a good studio schedule is maybe the closest thing to a meditation that I have these days because I'm very, I can very much just like be in my house doing whatever. Yeah, um, me too. Can you talk a little bit about what your what that looks like? Like, how do you do you like schedule studio time, or you just make sure you go every day, or what is? How does that happen for you? Really happy these days that I have a work schedule that allows that allows me to have several. Like, I'm I'm part time, so mm-hmm. I have these other whole blocks of days where I can come in and work. And so I really just try to make sure I at least touch base in the studio those days mm-hmm. um, because I'm so project driven that I, I don't know. I, and these, I mean, I'm kind of in a moment where I'm cranking all the time, like mm-hmm. making work all the time, but I also do, you know, I'm also taking care of my home and like, I also really love cooking. So I'm sometimes planning meals. Mm-hmm. That might take all day, which is kind of its own thing. But um, <laughs> but I always train just before I know what I'm going to do, before I've had any, you know, like a nice morning at home, I try to just get to the studio. And now I have like little 
little coffee there and tea. And then I also, there's often like a, like food in there too from different events and stuff. So I just will go to the studio and try and check in and like get oriented there um, if I can. And then spending anywhere from like an hour to a good, good day, spend like six plus hours in there. Mm-hmm. Um, or depending on what I'm working on, I might be going like right over to Littleton to get into that ceramic studio and make that happen, which in the past few months, I mean, that's been, woo, that I've been there a lot, um, which is great. But it's like, I don't think. I just go straight yeah. there. Like, it's very, <laughs> like I might, if I'm really busy, I up that night before, like planning out exactly what I'm going to do. And you know what? That's the big thing, too. Like, if mm-hmm. one is busy, or even if they're not, I think to have a plan before you get in the studio is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I tell that to my students a lot. Um and they're, you know, they're in a different, they might just be starting to use the material, but it's like, you tell yourself, I'm going in, I'm making six mugs, I'm pulling handles, and then I'm going to work on these two items and this other fun project. And it's like, even if you don't do it, you get in, you have that plan, you use your time. Mm-hmm. And so in the ceramic studio, I really try and do that. In the, in my other studio, my studio at Redline, I try and do that too, but then I also, you know, I also have the, all of these great materials that I just leave out. And so if I am going to go just do my little tinkering, then I get my music or my podcast or whatever going. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of just see what happens. That's but so definitely cool. putting that, it's crucial. You have to put that studio time in. Like mm-hmm. you, I, yeah, mm-hmm. crucial. I was curious, what do you like to listen to? These days, oh my gosh. I'm listening to, I listen to Pod Save America. Oh, yeah. I listen to The Daily. Mm-hmm. I used to listen to like stuff you should know and stuff, but I don't anymore. I just started listening to Seeking Treatment by the advice of some friends, and that is oh. awesome. Oh, <laughs> um, check that out. Yeah, it's really just kind of funny, uh, like, I don't know, it was like Sex and Love and by really two great hosts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. let's see. And then music-wise, I mean, I just have such a big spread of things, but I've been revisiting Can a lot lately. Let's see. I'm, I mean, I'm always just interested in, you know, like T-Rex talking heads, mm-hmm. sometimes yes. television, things like this. But it's yeah. really like a big spread. Like Sebastian Tellier, I started to listen to a bit, like some French kind of, I don't know, like kind of electronic kind of ambient things going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love Black Sabbath. It's a, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I love it. That's One last little question. If you were a plant, what would mm-hmm. it be? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Maybe I would be, you know what? I would be some kind of jungle plant, like mm-hmm. some creeping vine, uh-huh. I think, would be cool. <laughs> I but, that. I mean, I feel like the I love jungle environment. That's my favorite um kind of ecosystem Mm -hmm. and so it would have to be something there maybe some cool fruit that I've never had before (laughs) some exotic fruit would be nice yeah maybe an exotic fruit in the jungle okay (laughs) that's good thank you so much for your time today is there any last little anything you want to share at this point um no I mean it's been such a great conversation. So comprehensive. Thank you so much, Sarah. I just feel yeah. so glad to have met you and that you came to the show and enjoyed it and that we've just been able to connect this way. Yes, I know. I'm so thankful for it, too. It's so fun to see your show. And it just, yeah, your work just keeps 
kind of spiraling around in my brain. I'm like, oh my God, you're doing such cool things. So yeah, thank you for all the hard work that you're putting in and for sharing your work with the world. It's really powerful, powerful stuff. Oh my gosh. Well, I appreciate that so much. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Well, I'll uh, be in touch. And yeah, thank you again so much for your time today. Great. Thanks, Sarah. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Please be sure to check out Marsha's work at marshamack.com or on Instagram at yay Marsha Mack. That's Y-A-Y Marsha Mack. Mack is M-A-C-K. And if you love the podcast, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast and helps shine the light of all the creatives and plant people out there doing cool work in the world. And I want to encourage something else in your review. If you want to include a little bio and your website, it helps other people find you too. So that could be helpful for you as well. Helpful for the podcast and helpful for you. So that's an option that I invite you to do. Uh, I also just set up a Patreon page. So that's some exciting news. If you would like to support Time in the Studio, you can do so at Patreon slash Time in the Studio. I'm the only one working on this and yeah, doing all the recording and editing and cha-cha-cha. So Thank you so much for all of your love and support and patience while I was away. And I hope to be back on a regular weekly basis from here on out. So the beginning of season two, thank you for being here. Lots of love to you all. Be well.